0: Well, hello and welcome. Yes, that's right. It is time again for another Tech 37. And this is the kind of topic you want to start a year off with, which is working with professionals to find out exactly where you should be focused, not based on someone's whims or where they get paid or anything related to that. This is all about how customers, yourselves perhaps, have been interacting with worldwide technology over the past year the many, many things that we have learned all coalesced into five priorities that you guys should all be considering or have in motion, or at least a good reason for why you might not be pursuing. You should at least have eyes wide open. So we're going to cover how you should be kicking off this year with 2022 to check your projects on track. We've got the experts, so happy to have everybody here. I'm going to introduce them next. My name is Rob Boyd. Welcome to Tech 37, your home for technology, education, and collaboration. Let's go ahead and uh, meet our expert, shall we? Oh, gentlemen, the muscle memory for triggering that animation was not there when I had to switch it up here at the last minute, as you know. Either way, um, I have had the pleasure of doing multiple shows and learning from you guys. And I just met Bob, though. Bob, the first time we've had a chance to meet each other. i will go, go through some introductions. Uh, first, let me say hello, Neil. Welcome.
1: Hey, Rob. Good to see you again.
0: Good to see you as well. And then Joe, of course, welcome. I'm doing these a little bit out of order because I want to um, uh, give Bob, I want to give you a chance to introduce yourself. Tell us what you do. Um, it'll be quickly discerned in conversation regardless, but can you tell us a little bit about what you've been doing for worldwide technology?
2: You bet. I'm a practice manager and the global engineering team, and my team covers campus access, which is wireless and wired, as well as IoT and private LTE.
0: Perfect. Yeah. And we've got some questions based on the priorities that, well, all of you have been working on. And a lot of people that, of course, aren't on the call with us here. We'll dig into that stuff. Uh, I'd like to get started uh, with Joe. And Joe, I just wondered, this is a very networking focused, uh, but obviously that does that only limits things to a certain degree in the conversation. Uh, But as we look at before we get into actually what the top five are, there's some resources we'll provide here and such as always, I think it's good to get a lay of the land and fully understand um, uh, how how this came about, what kind of things have weighed into the decisions that you and your teams have been making uh, about where to focus. Um, I wonder if you could set this up for us.
3: Yeah, so uh, always good to, to see you, Rob. Glad to be back. This is actually a pretty good conversation in continuation from our last Tech 37, which we talked about the digital workspace priorities going into 2022. And if you think about you know what we talked about in the last session of the end user the experiences uh things like hybrid work return to the office and you know as we look back over the pandemic and what we've noticed is how the employees have so much leverage these days and if you aren't delivering these new experiences and capabilities you're at risk for creating disengaged employees well this topic today is really around the connectivity to those applications You know, we can talk about what tools people need to get their jobs done and where and how and the devices and all that stuff. But that last piece around connectivity is really critical because you might deploy some services in the cloud, some in a SaaS application, some might be back at your your corporate data center and infrastructure. But if I can't connect my end users to those specific tools and have the right networking and routes to that traffic, The stuff's not going to break. You know, a great example is this. We all went home and started using video conferencing. Well, if I had to reroute all that video traffic back through my corporate network across the country or across the globe, and all of a sudden I'm getting really lousy video quality, that's going to affect my experience. It affects my job and how I can be productive. And so the network really matters in delivering this exceptional experience. So I think this is a great topic. Uh, because I think it's so critical, and sometimes it does get overlooked, especially in the new way that we are designing corporate applications and where they reside. And I think this is really critical to understand how to architect for this new way of work.
0: Yeah, and it, it, what's interesting here is is sometimes I think, well, you put a network in, and 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 you know everything's designed to be pretty flexible. That's the beauty of networking these days. But but there are really change when with changes in how workloads are accessed, and then changes about how we're all returning to work. All these things have this cascade effect that I've been learning from you guys about what this means so that if you're uh, looking to upgrade, if you're looking to uh, better be, be better prepared to take on the markets in the, the, the state that they're in and the state we hope or think that they may be in going forward, there may be some changes required. And, and um, I know you had a lot of people that are building new networks in this, uh, especially in this hybrid environment, and they're making distinct changes about how they approach and how they hedge investments to make sure that they're remaining intelligent about how they go about doing that. And I'm looking forward to exploring that further. Uh, Any other points on the setup there, Joe, before I transition us into the five points?
3: Well, I I think the other thing to consider is, especially as we start returning to the office, we're finding more and more organizations are actually changing what the office means, right? Hmm. They're reducing their real estate infrastructure and where their, their headquarters are they're getting rid of some of their branch offices and, and consolidating. And so it, it changes how they're looking at the network now is I might have more people hitting the branch versus going into the headquarters. I might have more people working remotely. I might have hybrid where they're coming in and out. And so you have to take all of these things into consideration as you look at the architectures. And I, I know Neil is really hot on this topic, so I don't want to you know, steal his thunder yet, but from an employee engagement experience, the way of work has changed and now it's building the future of how we're going to connect all these people in this new manner. So I'll leave it at that and let the, let the smart networking guys uh, talk about how, (laughs) as if you're not part of that.
0: Yeah. As if you're not part of that conversation. (laughs) Yeah. Don't go far, Joe. So Neil, that's, so that's a setup. And I know Neil is someone who, who loves to give away his work and let other people take credit uh, because a, a lot of what you've been producing here, Neil, um, You've kind of, uh, as I understand it, he has been encapsulated. We've got a lot of materials. We'll have links at the end of the show. Uh, people that are watching this live, of course, um, on the platform, which is where uh, there was where you go back and you find these links. So there's details that people can read about, and there's good stuff uh, to to follow ongoing as the conversation will inevitably change to some extent as we move forward. It always does. But as we look at these priorities, Neil, um, it's my understanding that that these are not about Profitability for worldwide, uh, you know, or anything to that effect. These are really about what you and your teams have been experiencing, and kind of maybe even some trials that you've been through over the the past year with clients. So I wonder if you could. Um, we'll start with the first priority about transforming and moving towards automation. Not a new topic, but you say that it is important now in this environment. So that's my question. Sorry, I was leaving it. I should have yeah, heard it that. Odd, I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> really wasn't a question. I, <laughs> But why is that?
1: Yeah, it's it's right, Rob. (laughs) I mean, uh, you know, infrastructure automation has not been, it's not new. It's been going on for quite a while and and customers are trying to get their arms wrapped around it. But what we are seeing is that there is a renewed, you know, interest in that because people are trying to get to that, you know, repeatable, reliable, programmable network. And even more so now, when you think about, the, the pandemic and, you know, the great resignation and all of those factors that companies are dealing with, um, it's hard to get IT talent in a lot of, uh, you know, certain disciplines like security and certainly automation and, yeah. and other disciplines. And so one way that you, you know, we're seeing our customers looking at this is, wow, the more that I can automate, maybe I can, you know, stem the tide a little bit of having to you know recruit people. If I can't find the right people, maybe I can automate some of those tasks and and put the people that I have to work on the most important, you know, business aspects. So it's we think that it's really important to have a strategy around how you're going to approach automation and how you're going to leverage that to support your organization on the on the highest, you know, value streams for your company.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I've had the the, the benefit of, of working with some other people in preparation for Tech 37 and, and getting a peek into how you guys work with some of the biggest organizations in the world. And when it comes to automation, the one thing that struck me is that a lot of those, you bring up security and you talk about uh, dealing with uh, changes in workforce and just having more flexibility to keep people focused on the right things. It's a, you know, and obviously we're gonna be short and simple here as best we can. There's a reality to making that kind of stuff happen. But it struck me that that they really do benefit each other because simple example, uh, you know, well done, prioritized automation projects suddenly uh, help with security, Uh, especially the things when we see that a lot of security comes from people just simply making simple mistakes that get propagated or leaving things open. And there's not a closed loop process for ensuring that uh, that developers are doing things in a way that is consistent, um, you know, across an entire team and things. And I've seen how you guys help people will do that. And so I think there's an interesting momentum to be had here. So we think of them in these silos of automating a certain area, but let's not overlook the benefits it feels like of how that can help accelerate your goals in multiple areas when you when you do that correctly is that do you agree with that statement
1: absolutely and and we see that with our with our customers you know the more that they can have a repeatable programmable configuration they can make sure that you know configurations are consistent across the network they can they can make that happen across thousands of locations remotely if they need to and You know, just a simple thing like automating a policy to make sure that that policy is consistent across all the locations or pushing software images, uh, you know, and software updates to make sure that, you know, all the vulnerabilities are taken care of. It really does play a really important role in security.
0: Well, Neil, take us to this next one. So number two is transforming edge to cloud. There's been no shortage. And whenever this happens in the market, we see no shortage of confusion as every vendor comes out with their flavor. And and it and it's been changing a lot lately. When we talk about SASE um, and SD WAN and, and how some people conflate these things, but um, obviously there's a security element in here. But when it comes to connectivity, tell us about where this fits in a priority perspective. And and Bob is always uh, and Joe, I encourage you guys to jump in as necessary. Bob, we're gonna come to you directly in point number three. But again, please jump in as needed. But Neil, what what's important here with SD WAN and SASE?
1: Yeah, this comes back to what Joe introduced, which is this idea that, you know, in, in my team, we say workloads are everywhere and users are anywhere. And so how do you connect those two things in the best way so everybody's getting a good experience? And that's why it's, it's really causing organizations to look at, okay, I, I can't really live with the way that my security perimeter was in the past, where I'm, I'm backhauling everything to a central location and I'm going to have a nice, tidy internet edge that I put all my security (laughs) assets. You really need to think about security differently than that. Um, It needs to be closer to the cloud edge where applications are, you know, are living and where users are, you know, their sessions are trying to get to. And so when when we look at what organizations that we're, uh, you know, that our customers are looking at highest on their list is the secure access service edge or SASE technologies. How does that fit with, SD-WAN, how does it fit f- with remote access uh, for working from home programs? Um, people were looking at this prior to the pandemic, but, yeah. you know, obviously work from home has really kicked this into gear as people are looking for remote access technology. And, and how do I get some visibility of what those workers are doing and accessing and, and keeping them safe from malware and things like that? So having that kind of cloud delivered security has is, is, is become really important. And that causes people to have to relook at their architecture because, you know, it, it, it's, it's a lot more difficult to have that kind of distributed security architecture. But some of the SASE offers out there make it easier to adopt, at least. I can, I've got a starting point. I can, I can put my policy next to the cloud, all the sessions kind of coming up to that cloud edge. And then I've got a central point of administering it. Whether they're working from home, they're into the office, yeah. or they're at a branch office, you can also have kind of that consistent policy across all of them.
0: And that is kind of the balance, Joe. I'm curious, and, and I hope I'm not leading you in the wrong direction here, but just the notion of uh, you talked about having the right connectivity in the right direction. You know, as we were kind of setting this up, and the importance there. And we'll talk more about cloud and and where that fits in the priorities. But it, there, there we st- at the one on one hand, we have the same old balance of security and availability, or security and access, kind of competing with each other, uh, with seemingly just uh, dist- you know goals that would conflict with each other. But it does feel like, and I don't, I, I don't envy you guys having to keep up with how fast this market is changing, but it does feel like there's been some extremely good uh, development in the security space. So that it feels like there's less trade-offs while still maintaining this concept of, of maximum flexibility and availability, you know, no matter where you are, uh, kind of uh, making that work better as we get away from that hardware-based centralized location mentality. I don't know, Joe, I'm just curious if you have any thoughts on yeah, that. It's, it's yeah, it's
3: definitely something we get into a lot of our workshops with our customers is understanding security postures, but also understanding, Hey, at some point you got to make sure that the user experience is still, is still uh, enabled and easy. You know, you can throw a ton of security tools on a, on a PC, but if you can't run the PC because of the processing power, is, is, is taken by all the security tools, it doesn't make a difference. So you have to really balance uh, productivity applications and what's useful for the employee along with, okay, what, how much security is required and what can I kind of live with to, to still enable a strong user experience.
0: Let me throw this out there. It, 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 oh, yeah.
3: it changes by industry and customer. Yeah. And like I said, it's based off different postures. Yeah.
0: Well, and as you guys have taught me too, you guys do a lot of work with, with defining and helping organizations define the roles. Uh, Within their organization and what that translates to from a from a technical perspective, one so that you give everything everybody all the tools they need but nothing extra. (laughs) You know the idea is let me maximize every tool set available at the same time, not give you too much to either where you can't handle it or you expose us to some unknown risk. But uh, and forgive me because I didn't ask you guys previously, and if this doesn't fit anymore, we've seen a lot of changes. Um, you know, throughout the pandemic period, we've seen video tick up to where it's almost second nature. Um, and we're, you know, I think we're more comfortable to pull the trigger on doing things remotely, perhaps in areas that we wouldn't have done it before. I don't think physical is going to go away. We're all looking forward to some some balance <laughs> coming back on that. Uh, but it's happening. But what about thin clients? I, I'm curious, is that seen because I, I always had that in the back of my mind as a as a technology that's been around forever, but continues to improve if, if you're not actually using. Those type of resources, you may not be aware of how it's grown and if it's become usable to, for lighter weight, maybe for specific roles. Curious what you guys think about that and where that fits here. So yeah. that anybody jump the in? Yeah, jump, thing
3: clients jump. and VDI are still uh, definitely definitely a thing, and based on the industry, they're actually it's it gotten more important. We we have seen uh, a lot of organizations actually as they went home start deploying more VDI and access than ever before, just because security po- uh, policies and uh, just access to the right tools and the right technology uh, for their employees became a lot more apparent when they're not going into their, their headquarters or their four walls. And so you had to make yeah. sure that uh, the VDIs were spec the right way. The access was correct. Uh, the connectivity work for them, you know, that's, that's the thing with VDI, right? It's if you have a slow connection on VDI, you're going to have a poor experience. And so that became really critical as you kind of looked and, and built that out. But um, yeah, over the past year and a half, that that part of our business has definitely grown because of the work from home uh, and hybrid work models.
0: Yeah, I think that's an interesting space because it, yeah, it. I think does... it's
1: another another good example, Rob, too, of how workloads have shifted. You know, used most of those VDI sessions used to be hosted in the private data center. Now a lot of them are hosted yeah. at the cloud edge or in the cloud. And it's just another example how traffic, you know, patterns have really shifted. And yeah, it is important technology because you know, as with work from home, you know, how do I mitigate security policy? I, I I don't have control of that environment, right? As somebody working on their home network and we have seen a, a definite pickup in that. How do I secure the endpoint? And, and definitely thin clients VDI is a way to do that.
0: Well, I know you guys have some interesting perspectives about how cloud has actually changed, which I didn't think about this prior, about how, how cloud has changed our response from an architectural perspective uh, in how you design your physical spaces. But before we get there, cause I've been looking forward to doing this to Bob, um, but Bob, with with all the amount of time we have, you take up to a minute if you need it. Explain Wi-Fi six and its relevance to us today. Where is Wi-Fi six E these days? What what's different about it other than the the extra numeral there? Um, you know what's important to understand from your perspective. No easy task. Yeah, yeah. thanks, Rob.
2: <laughs> you know I think everything that's been said here kind of leads into supporting uh, the need for greater Wi-Fi connectivity within our office. As the p- pandemic hit, we moved to home. Broadband uh, is pretty good for most Americans. But when there's one or two people working in a home, uh, we've got access to a lot of speed. And as the applications move to the cloud, we get used to this experience of having priority on that network. When you go back to the office, you know I, I saw a lot of friends or uh, acquaintances carrying desktops out of a building <laughs> when the pandemic hit. And I was laughing, like, what are you doing? Do you yeah. guys not have a laptop? And like, no, we always go to the office. The desktop's always wired. And now we're at home trying to figure out how to connect this thing. We're moving to a model where I, it, wireless is first as a connectivity medium. Yeah. And it's a utility. It's, you know, think of if you lost power or water in a building, people are going home. If you lose Wi-Fi connectivity, uh, people are probably going home. They're going to go into Starbucks yeah. or, or, you know, another place where they can connect well. Because their applications aren't in the building, they're out in the cloud, they're out in the internet. And there's that uh, expectation of performance, uh, you know, consumerization of IT and all these things that we've talked about in a, long ago. Uh, the reality that we have multiple devices coming into an office, we're working, we're being product, productive with multiple things, not just our main compute device. Um, and we're moving around the office. And those dynamics uh, challenge the way Wi-Fi was once deployed, where We built for a model of coverage. It was best effort. And now we're building for a model of capacity. We have to provide a network that has uh, low latency, high speed, for a large number of people as they move around the office. So the advantages that we see in Wi-Fi 5 and 6 really support the realization that uh, we're going to have people back in the office. They're going to have great bandwidth demands. And they're going to expect a level of performance. So. Uh, you know wi-fi 5 comes along uh really targeted at five gigahertz some great advantages around uh memo multiple user um
0: multiple output yep multi multiple input, multi antennas output,
2: Yeah. yep <laughs> sorry wi-fi 6 though is uh, was pretty game-changing in that it not only up the, the number of spatial streams the number of devices we can talk to uh at, at a time but uh, also lowering the latency as multiple users get on that network so Uh, If you look at some of the models out there uh, in terms of capacity of a wireless network, as we add users to an access point, generally the latency of that access point, the latency for each user increases dramatically. Uh, We don't see that great um, decline in performance in Wi-Fi 6, and in Wi-Fi 6E we have about 1,200 megahertz of additional spectrum in the 6 gigahertz band that is available. So. As we're building for a model of Wi-Fi coverage of capacity, we're going to add access points. We we can't just pull the old access point off the the ceiling and throw another one on. We need to redesign that network to add additional access points to ensure we have uh, adequate coverage at a uh, great capacity level, which requires a, a better signal, and also we need to consider noise or interference in that environment as we're sending more data we're talking to more devices in each time slice that is available on that network if interference pops up we're not just affecting one user we're affecting you know 8 20 30 users at a time so it's it's a it's a it's a huge change in the model uh, some very significant performance advantages and as that's we're at. You
0: know, before, before you go to 6E, I'm just going to cut you off because I wasn't sure yeah. exactly where to jump in. But on this thing, though, 6 is significantly different than previous generations. And I think we make the mistake if we just think it's only about a speed increase, because that's usually what, you know, the, general pop culture brain can handle when it comes to wireless technologies. Uh, But it's really about more than that. You mentioned the capacity. It's not because we're focused on capacity as users. It's because the technology has evolved. They really made some big leaps in terms of scheduling traffic and handling that better, dealing with interference differently. It feels like six, uh, assuming the clients are, are, are being deployed and, and manufactured. And, and so that was my other question is in six is what the chick, the age old chicken and egg issue on wireless, which is our are, are clients, are, do, we have a, do we have a significant number of clients? Cause six really shines. It seems like when you get over that tipping point of a significant number of clients that are able to speak at that, uh, at that protocol level.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So okay. uh, in the Wi-Fi six realm, uh, it's not only 2.4, it's not only five gigahertz, but it's 2.4 gigahertz as well. So a lot of those uh, lower power IoT type devices start getting uh, benefits from the advantage, the updates to that environment. Uh, OFDMA borrowed from LTE technology allows yeah. us to yeah. uh, talk to, receive communications along with Moomimo uh, from multiple clients at the same time. So we're using, you know, if you think of a lane of traffic on the highway, um, if I can take that four lane interstate or four lane highway and now I can fit eight cars across, or 24 cars across, I I can pass more data in the same vehicle length um, versus what I used to do in the past. And and that's what both OFDMA and Mumimo have done in Wi-Fi 6. In Wi-Fi 6E, we're adding an additional giant chunk of spectrum. So very similar to uh, going from just 2.4 gigahertz being a Wi-Fi standard to having 5 gigahertz available, our access points uh, now had two radios. You're not going to service those different clients with the same radio. And we expect something similar to happen in the Wi-Fi 6E realm where you're now ha- going to have three radios. Yeah. And it's more to manage uh, to, you know, some of the automation capabilities we talked about before, uh, having more things to manage, man- uh, servicing greater users with greater capacity. The network's more complex. So we're also seeing with these advanced access points and Wi-Fi Uh, Six, better automation, better management systems. And it's not just better management systems to deploy and configure, but it's better management systems to uh, pull visibility of what the user experience actually is. So uh, correlating a issue in the environment from a switch to a controller, to the internet, to an application, uh, giving us that visibility of what the root causes without requiring our admins or support staff to log into eight or 10 different devices and try and troubleshoot all of them simultaneously. Uh, Getting that visibility of here is the series of devices that are delivering the user experience. Here's a couple of things that might be causing a problem. And in some cases we're seeing AI, uh, machine learning type uh, capabilities actually going out and making changes to an access point, changes to that wireless network to eliminate a performance issue that might be affecting a small group of people.
0: Yeah, that's. I, I find Very that genius. stuff endlessly fascinating because I we talk for a long time on this one. It, but is it? Uh, you mentioned we're thinking. We're, you know, we're certainly wireless first. Um, we've all been beat over the head, of course, and we'll talk about private wireless. But and, and and we're not going to talk about five G and all that that entails because that's just a can of worms. But but as but but it does speak to the expectation that we all have of of unlimited you know kind of connectivity at any place, any time. Right. But when I go back to the office, I feel like if I'm in that position oh my gosh, if, you have, if I have a worse experience on the network when I come in from home based on what I've been used to, that's not going to encourage me to come back. Because it used to. No. That's why I went in, not just for the printer, um, you know, and the scanner, and of course the people. Pretty but the, uh, the office chair was better too. But those type of things. And our, our office is being built differently now where desktops, even if they're not laptops or mobile users, they're being deployed. They're not bothering to run cables to every potential point because it feels like there's a good flexibility to take advantage of here now that wireless is really excelling.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you hit on a couple points. Uh, office design. Yeah, we, we've seen organizations say we're we're changing the office layout. We don't expect to have as many people in the building. Mm-hmm. So um, we're, we're setting up more hotel type cube scenarios where you can check into the hotel cube. You can use it for that time period. And when you go home, the next person comes in the next day and, and they're using that space. But uh, we've also seen it's it's happened over a number of years, but uh, in the last couple of years of folks working in multiple places. Um, when you go into the office, you're probably not just working at that desk. And you know we we know we've always carried our laptop to the conference room, but now the break room or the collab space, you know something a little more open is uh, more of the exchange space we expect to see in these offices. Less folks working in the tall cubicles. By themselves and coming to the office more for the collaboration,
0: yeah.
2: Uh, so it, 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 that starts causing issues with roaming. Are we able to provide that connectivity from as we move from point A to point B? We are likely moving away from uh, a, an IP phone on every single desk that you pick up and use, but more to the collaboration tools where we're using the network for voice and video, real time, all the time, and that requires an experience level that. Uh, is well above anything we've ever had in wi-fi yeah um, you,
0: yeah that, we that's exactly what
3: we're seeing as well yeah and yeah go ahead Joe. I, I i think that that raises a good point when people do start coming back in the office they're so used to being on their webex or their zoom calls and there's not going to be that physical phone on the desk anymore you're going to have more people sitting in a hoteling seat running hi-fi video or you know high-def video sitting side by side each other now it's going to eat up a lot more bandwidth uh, than it ever had before. And so now you have to plan differently for that different style of use case.
0: And, and I, so always, I always picture people like my daughter. Before the yeah.
3: pandemic, but we really think going to a hoteling model is really going to take off.
0: I picture people like my daughter who will come in and, and the way I watch her, she's walking around the house on FaceTime uh, or something to that effect. And I'm thinking about wireless designers who are trying to manage those handoffs and design for pockets of users who may even be all on the same meeting, but they're all on video. They're all sharing at the same time and they're moving. And, and, you know, that needs to happen in a way that's transparent, of course, to them that, that there was a handoff. Uh, But the visibility tools you mentioned have really gotten good across all segments, not just wireless, but it is amazing. It's, it's like, boy, everybody should be investing in, in tooling to understand their environment better. There's no excuse for not being able to, to set thresholds and, and understand where things are trending against a baseline, you know, that can now be established in a lot of different areas. Um, yeah, the, pa- I'm sorry, I'm gonna get into the wireless. I, I love some of the troubleshooting when it comes to packet capture, and just some of the stuff you can get into now with wireless. It's like, Oh, I could replay yeah, everything that just happened instead of that. Well, I had a problem over here last Tuesday. Can you figure it out for me? Yeah, no. Okay. Um, well, we can now to a certain extent. Number four, we got to keep moving here. I'm going to run out of time. I apologize. Modernizing core and cloud networks. Just quickly going through this one, Joe, um, What what's important in terms of the changes here and how it's affecting priorities?
3: Well, more and more applications, as we said earlier, are moving to the cloud or to, you know, whether that's a SaaS cloud, a public cloud, Neil mentioned earlier, you know, more organization are put their VDI and, and you know, AWS and Azure. So it's changing where the application resides. And so you have to better plan for where is that going to go? What's the capacity I'm going to have there? And how am I going to kind of future proof so that if I add more either into that public cloud, or if I add more SAS applications, is my network set up to, to address that and still, you know, still deliver this type of experience that the end user is going to require now.
0: Well, and it's interesting. I've, I've seen you work with some clients, you guys, uh, There's interesting strategies where it comes beyond, you know, of course, the physical office building, but it's uh, perhaps because everybody has different security needs and that's going to maybe vary on how much they're moving to what all moves to cloud versus what stays, you know, in, in your own areas. And then that in between with with Colo facilities and certain Colo facilities offering this adjacency to these cloud points that do suddenly make a big difference when you talk about depending on your workloads, are, are you seeing strategies change in design for accommodating those type of uh, opportunities?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think,
0: Go ahead, and, and
1: I think it's, it's not, what, what's interesting is it's not sort of a, a like for like replacement anymore, right? It's okay. not like I'm going to take, you know, my data center switches out and put the, the, the newest ones in, I may still do some of that, but it's really about stepping back and looking at well, where is my workload going to be you know, in the future, it's probably going to be hybrid. It's going to be a combination of some of them are going to be in my private data center, some of them are going to be in the cloud and SaaS. Some of them may be at the edge in in a, you know, in a data center like Equinix. How am I going to network those all together and make sure that I can have that consistent policy across where my workloads are living and my, my NetOps team can manage that. Right. And so that, that's what we, when we talk about core and cloud, that that's, you know, what Joe mentioned. A lot of it is figuring out how am I going to network to these workloads that I may not have networked to before, but also then how do I tie that in with the, the applications I'm still going to keep in my private data center?
0: Yeah. Joe, do you want to go back to whatever you're going to cover there if it's still relevant?
1: Well, Did he cover, I, I think yeah. Neil just, kind of, just
0: yeah.
3: kind of nailed it, right? It's, it's all of the above. It's kind of looking at the hybrid model and saying, how do I, how do I plan for all of them? Yeah. Uh, and future proof it so that as I as I kind of build out my applications going forward, am I am I set to put keep some things on prem and some things in the private cloud and so forth? So it's just really future proofing and understanding where you're going to put those workloads.
0: Well, one thing I love about doing this with you guys is not only are you good at raising great questions that 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 cause the audience to go, oh, we're going to have to figure this out. But you also offer the ability to help them figure that out. And we're going to cover that in just a moment. I want to, it dawned on me, I was forgetting to put up our list, but uh, Bob, I know we keep running out of time and this is not a small subject either, but we, uh, you guys put private wireless on the list, which I find fascinating because I had done a little bit of a dive into what was happening with CBRS a while back. And there is some amazing opportunities here and I never would have thought of it. So I'm glad you have it on the list. Can you explain what private wireless is and, and where that opportunity lies?
2: You bet. So uh, private wireless is private LTE. So if you think of the cellular carrier macro network that we've all become accustomed to uh, being able to use those technologies and new spectrum in our enterprise environments uh, to deliver a a differentiated quality of of service differentiated wireless network Um, use cases for this range from end user connectivity for say an iPhone that supports the spectrum bands to robotics um, to IoT sensor devices in manufacturing. And there's a, there's a I think there's a lot of misunderstanding around the opportunities or the use cases for that spectrum. But uh, really, we try and educate customers that it's an opportunity to provide a higher quality, uh, more consistently delivered network to high-priority devices yeah. or to yeah. connect um I guess more essential devices in the manufacturing world, sensors on a, on a manufacturing line, uh, robotics, delivering parts just in time um, other systems that may bring efficiency to our operation, low power devices and things of that nature.
0: Yeah. You know, it struck me that we often speak of latency when it comes to wireless as an inconvenience that, you know, we're always trying to manage away, but it feels like the, the segment that private wireless can really appeal to are the people who don't want to talk about an inconvenience of latency. It's not, there can't be latency because they're dealing with something from uh, surgical to autonomous vehicles to just something that requires such a degree of, of um, consistency and predictability that we've not seen in wireless. And so what I think what jumped out at me and in, in working with you guys in preparation for this is that, and just correct me if I'm wrong, is it if a loose way to maybe qualify, is it any organization that's thinking about this prep should raise their hand if, they have ever found themselves kind of constrained by feeling like they need to wire because they need the reliability of cabled because wireless doesn't give it to them. They may want to stop, pause for a moment and say, wait, what could this do for my organization? Uh, just as a general sense to cover it off quickly, would you agree with them?
2: Yeah, totally. I had a conversation with our own distribution center uh, just yesterday and they, they called us up and said, Hey, it's costing us $3,600 to move an ethernet cable. And we're gonna start reconfiguring parts of the distribution center. And I, I've got at least 10 drops that we wanna change. And we've moved these drops three or four times in the last three or four years. Like this is really becoming an untenable yeah. expense. You to well, how can again. you help know, with this? Yeah. And it, the conversation got into uh, forklift analytics, You know, capturing power levels so the, the battery powered forklift doesn't stop in the middle of the floor, like something that seems pretty basic. But yet it happens. Uh, the, the Zebra scanners that you might do inventory with not being able to connect to the network and, and the time card clock that everybody punches when they come in and out. Uh, if it's not working, there's a big giant line production stops. There's so many things that if we had a highly reliable wireless network, one that likely worked in a different way than we're used to in the Wi-Fi world, we could overcome a lot of these challenges. We could save a lot of money. We could bring a lot of efficiency to our, our operations and in that manufacturing space and some of the others where there's a lot of data collection that goes on. A lot of that data collection occurs with somebody with a clipboard and a pencil walking around, measuring performance, measuring timing, measuring a fit, um, uh, errors. That that data captured is captured manually. It's gone back and assembled manually. If we can capture it automatically, we can start feeding it into um, more uh, business information systems that might illuminate problems or uh, deficiencies in the environment that we can fix more quickly. Yeah. So there's, there's really a lot of uh, ROI opportunities if you look for the right use cases and can deploy these networks properly.
0: Yeah, I, I just love the options that that opens up for a whole segment that that really hasn't had good options uh, for a while. And a lot of it's the creativity of the licensing and taking advantage of the LTE some of that LTE tech that's been around for a long time, but the way the spectrum was being done and what was released uh, to be able to use in this, it just represents a nice coming together. It feels like of uh, opportunities there. Um, yeah. One thing I just want to mention uh, before, because we're out of time, but I want to talk about the worldwide approach for just a moment to wrap things up and Neil, I'll come to you with that. But I also want to mention you guys had told me was weird about how things are being designed differently based on POE and just don't, get distracted and forget that even though there's a reduction in certain types of devices, there is an uptick in the number of devices that can accept PoE. That's going to put a different load per port on your switches. It's going to be a different design in terms of, of, of building layout. I just want to throw that in there because I, I just remember you guys were kind of passionate about that. When yeah. We talked about it in the pre-show. I mean,
2: there may be fewer desktops in the environment wired into the network, but we're seeing a tremendously uh, larger number of IP cameras that are yeah. powered via PoE. Yeah. And a lot of these devices are drawing significantly more power than uh, an ip phone or some of the the legacy stuff that relied upon poe in the past so um not only greater power draw from the network but an expectation of a higher level of resiliency so if we have a stack of switches and you're going to reboot that switch or one of them how do we maintain power to those devices so that there's not an extended boot up time uh if there is a hiccup in the power in the building uh, how do we not lose all the devices? It's just more points to consider as you start transitioning, how you're going to power things and having more things relying upon POE. Well,
0: especially, I guess I had, I've had one uh, kind of friend slash client uh, in the in the Dallas-Fort Worth area where I am, who's been building new hotels, and he has been doing everything possible to run over POE. So all of the lighting, um, the uh, he's just doing as much DC as he can. And then, it, and it's even, you know, of course down to the the window shades and he's found TVs that can, that can run off of that same power because he's really trying to consolidate. And I like that move because I think LED lights fascinate me just because the low power and the flexibility there, but just the data gathering and then how you can make more intelligent decisions yes. around this organism that you're creating, but we got a plan for that appropriately. Yeah. Absolutely. Love it. Well, Neil, as I said, so as we wrap things up, we're, we're at our, Tech 37 promise already. Uh, But I think this is very important is I had under each one of these items, just an understanding of worldwide takes a unique approach to um, anyone that, you know, maybe not even fully comfortable with how to ask the right questions about how do we approach something? Because it's sometimes even posing the question about jumping into these things about getting started can be very daunting and hard to, um, hard to kind of jump off. But you guys deal with this all the time, I understand. And so I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the approach, where to go for more information, anything important there before we go.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, there's a lot of, let's face it, there's a lot of marketing out there on some of these brand new technologies. It's hard sometimes to sort out what's real, what's not real. Yeah. But we take an approach where we we are working with hundreds of customers all the time on these technologies. And so it becomes apparent to us very quickly which ones are real and which ones are are not, and as well as which solutions fit a, a customer profile and, and that customer's kind of requirements. And so what we like to do is really engage with a customer in a workshop setting where we share our insights about the solutions in the market, understand their requirements, and then match them up with what we think are the right couple of solutions they should take a deeper dive with. Uh, and then that deeper dive can happen in our lab, very easily. It can happen on demand with um, people logging in and getting their own instantiation of that session and that solution and play with it on your own or follow our structured lab guides to learn it and, and explore it and understand how does it, what is it like to manage that technology? Um, does it have the capabilities I'm looking for? Or it can also take another step into a more formal proof of concept where now we've got a formal test plan that we run, want to run through to really qualify one of those solutions for mass deployment in my company. And we can very quickly after that, then hand it to our mass deployment arm that can help customers really scale that out globally. And so that's kind of our our approach, Rob, is really, you know, understanding requirements, educate you on the market and and who the right solutions are for you, give you hands-on to those either in an on-demand setting or a structured setting, uh, you know, with a, with a structured test plan, and then help you make that decision faster so that you can get the value of it faster. That's, that's really what we do. And all of that is central around WWT.com. If you go to our platform, you can see all the different labs that we have available. Those are available just for registering. We don't charge, you know, a subscription for those labs or anything like that. If you, you just register on our platform. And as, as long as you're with a, an organization that is a real organization, let's say on the planet, you get access to those labs and you can fire them up and, and explore. So I would encourage you take a look at those and take a look at the workshops that we have out there.
0: Yeah. And let me echo that one. Cause I think sometimes we forget you guys are a great source for education and, and just uh, sticking a toe in the water to understand a technology. And it goes as far as actually getting stick time with uh, multiple vendors, and then when things get to that right thing, seeing how those things work together, the ATC or the Advanced Technology Center, which is physically in St. Louis, but is amazingly available to anyone in the world, uh, is a the amount you guys must invest in keeping that available uh, for so many different scenarios and people to interact with. And the new things that I keep hearing keep coming out as you're keeping up with all the vendors uh, and just kind of providing um, this information Let me just give you guys quick props, because you mentioned a little bit about logistics. Um, I was talking to one of your partners, I won't name, that does a lot of business with you guys. Uh, It's a manufacturing partner. And they were going on and on about how their customer, which is a very globalized customer, and they could not have pulled off what they did with this customer if they didn't have access to worldwide staging centers, where... Uh, It was a big deployment and multiple things coming from, as any deployment is, it's multiple vendors all coming together and all the supply chain issues we have now, it's become even more important to be able to pre-stage, do a burn in and do these things in a facility that can handle that before it goes to your customer site, which may probably doesn't have anybody extremely knowledgeable about how to troubleshoot or deal with anything other than plugging in, you know, power and connectivity and you guys really make that stuff turnkey. And he bragged about uh, just even in some of the craziest play world, where your logistics experts have relationships about how to get stuff across certain borders in the right manner at the right time. Know how to reflect that with regards to the plans being made, so that people aren't surprised by you know bad expectations about where what's going to happen where. Anyway, just nice stuff I'm hearing, and uh, but I think it goes into, you guys are full package uh, from the point of inception in the brain to how to make it work all the way to actually getting value out of it at the end point, and uh, that's no easy task. It's the envy of the industry, really. Um, but it all starts <laughs> wwt.com. As you guys watching this show, probably know you can follow every one of these topics that we've talked about here actually are individual talk because they're big topics. You can follow them on there. And that's something that I do. You can follow individuals. You can interact with people on screen here and their peers. You can kind of see where they fit in the organization. You can see the stuff that's constantly being published, including some stuff related to the show's topics today. So don't waste that resource guys. Uh, please take a look wwt.com. Get logged in and uh, get involved and um, as much or as little as you want to, because there's no pressure, zero pressure. You guys have never heard from me on anything on that platform. Um, I love it. Great resource. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time, for the five priorities to the audience. Apologize, I'm a few minutes over. My fault, not theirs. And uh, thank you for joining us on Tech 37. We'll see you online. I'm going to put up a URL for you to check out going forward, but it's a general one because there's a lot of stuff to branch off to. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for joining us.